0: Man, what a fantastic morning! Thanks so much for joining us here at Blue Water. So good to see you all. Really, really happy that you are here with us. We are dialing in on the end of our series through the book of Hebrews. Now, one of the things we have seen as we have walked through the book of Hebrews is that, um, well, because we're not first-century Jewish people, a lot of what the writer of Hebrews says, we we don't. We have a hard time kind of naturally understanding it, naturally getting it, and that's not really much of a surprise. If they were to read, let's say, an email from us, they would probably have a difficult time understanding what was going on there as well. So uh, one of the things we have kind of labored at through this series is um, explaining and and uh, sketching out exactly what's going on. Now we are going to see that happening as well this morning. So if you have your copy of God's Word, which We say all the time here at Blue Water, uh, when you come here, it is always so important to have your own copy of God's word. Would love for you to open it with me, with us to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, if you don't have your own copy of God's word with you, it, you can pull out your, uh, your mobile device and there is an app called, uh, I think it's just called Bible, it's by a company called Uversion. and if you go to uh, the, the menu button and then under events you can find blue water and all the scriptures that you need and the sermon outline and, and study questions and whatnot will all be right there for you so you can follow along with us, that's the Uversion Bible app. So, Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 11. Are you ready to go? we ready to do this? Yeah? If you're ready, say "Jump." jump. All right. Wow. This is, I like you guys. This is a good group this morning. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go with him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now again, when we read that, um, even in my study this week, when the first time I read it, I was like, what? What is going on? What is he trying to say? First century Jewish people, they understood it. They would have got it immediately. Let me try and explain what is going on here. What you need to understand is one of, if not the most significant holy day for the Jewish people was the Day of Atonement. You, the, the Jewish people today still celebrate it. It's called Yom Kippur. And on the Day of Atonement, when the sacrificial system was still taking place, what would happen is they would bring a bull and a lamb into the temple, um, and they would sacrifice those animals. Now, it's going to get kind of gruesome here for a minute. And on one hand, I want to apologize for that. On the other hand, it's gruesome on purpose. And the reason is because our sin is a gruesome thing. Now, we tend to think about our sin as, as more in terms of like a foible, right? Like, oh, it, you know, I, I sinned again. I, that's just how I am. Oh, I, darn it, I sinned again. Oh, man, I, <clears throat> pardon me, I can't believe I sinned again. That's how we tend to think of sin, but <clears throat> pardon me, that's not actually what sin is. Sin is a cosmic rebellion against an almighty creator God. And the scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So when we sin, something has to die in order to atone for or to pay for that sin. And so, so, so again, this is kind of gruesome, but, but I... I don't really apologize for it so, because our sin is a gruesome thing. So what they would do in the, uh, on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur is they would bring a bull and a, a lamb, this cute little lamb, and into the temple and they would slit the throats and then they would collect the blood into a bowl. and take that blood into the most holy place and that was part of making atonement, of covering over the sins of not just the high priest but also all the people for one more year. Now, we might tend to think, okay, that's the end of the story, but for, uh, uh, you know, in in the reality of the situation, what then would happen to the bodies of those animals? What, What would happen to them? I've never actually thought about it before studying this passage. And what the law prescribed was they would take those animals, the bodies of those animals, and they had to take them outside the camp or outside of the city, and the, the bodies there had to be burned. And it was very important that they were burned outside the camp. Now, when we hear that, we think, oh, they just moved the localities. When a first century Jewish person heard that phrase, outside the camp, it was a big deal. Because to be outside the camp was, was the definition of marginaliz- marginal, <laughs> let me try that again, easy for me to say, marginalization. It was those who were unclean who had to be outside the camp. It was those who had infectious diseases, so it didn't spread through everyone that were outside the camp. It was those who were, were rejected and to be outside the camp was by definition to be set apart. So in other words, like to be inside the camp was you were part of us. To be outside the camp, you, you are literally not one of us. You are, are distinct, you're separate in a bad way from us. And so those animals, the bodies of the animals, had to be taken outside the camp. Why is that significant? It's significant because he says Jesus himself was crucified outside the camp. Or, or as a matter of fact, Golgotha, the, the hill that Jesus was crucified on, was actually outside of the city walls, outside the city gate. So, so Jesus himself experienced that marginal, marginalization. I'm really struggling with that this morning. I don't know why. Why? And the writer says, we need to share with that. In other words, those of us who are Christians, those of us who are Christ followers, part of of the nature of the Christian life, and if you're following in your notes, these are blanks that you can fill in, the nature of the Christian life is to move from comfort to disgrace, like Jesus. To move from inclusion to marginalization. That is the nature of the Christian life. And that's, that's no fun, and, and I have to tell you, the sermon this morning is not an easy sermon, it's not a fun sermon. And I apologize for that, I don't. <laughs> the nature of the Christian life is to move from inclusion to marginalization. And that's one of the reasons why, well, there's a couple of implications I'm going to draw from that. The first one, that's one of the reasons why the church is so vitally important. Have you heard ever heard someone say, oh, um, I, I, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, but I don't need the church. I don't want to be part of a church. Have you ever heard that? Oh, yeah. It's such a Bad idea for so many reasons, but one of them is right here because um, as we move from uh, Towards marginalization in the world right in the the greater context cultural Pardon me cultural context. We need somewhere to belong and that's why it's so important to experience real thick deep community That's why being part of a church in a, a community of faith is so important so that in a cultural perspective as we follow Jesus and move towards disgrace or marginalization, we get, we are included in the community of faith. That's why one of the reasons why it's so important. One of the other extensions to this um, fact I want to draw is. Um, I, I don't know if you've noticed this. I don't know if you've experienced this. I know I have. We, we love celebrities. Like, in our culture, we love celebrities. Even in the, the, you know, the community of faith, even in the Christian world, we love celebrities. And whether they are <clears throat> famous uh, actors who say they're Christians or recording artists or whatnot, one of the things we tend to do is to kind of idolize those people and put them up on, on a bit of a pedestal. And it seems like there's a, a little while specifically where it seemed like any time there was a recording artist that wrote a song that, that I, I, really moved me, that I found was really powerful and um, sort of pointed me to the Lord, and, and anytime time, you know, it seemed like within just a couple of years that recording artist had, um, had walked away from their faith, had deconstructed their faith. And, and for a while, that kind of threw me. What is going on? Well, the nature of being a celebrity and having to manage a brand actually pushes back against what we're learning here. Because to be a Christian is to move towards marginalization, to move towards disgrace. But if you are someone famous, if you're trying to manage a brand, the nature of managing that brand is such that you need people to like you. Your livelihood is built on the fact that you need people to like you enough to buy your merch or buy your records or buy your whatever. So so these people might be very, very gifted in a certain realm or certain sphere, but there's something that pushes back against their maturity in Christ, it seems like. Now, does that mean that all famous people who claim the name of Christ are bad? No, I'm not saying that. And the issue is not really looking out at someone else. The issue is really our own heart. And the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is, am I moving from comfort to disgrace? Am I moving from cultural inclusion to cultural distinction? Is that true of me? And if not, man, I might need to have a really hard look at my heart and ask myself, am I actually following Jesus? Because the nature of the Christian life is to move from inclusion to distinction. And just like the bodies of those animals on the Day of Atonement were burned outside of the camp, so also, well look at what it says in verse 13, our only option is to go with him outside the camp, to follow him into disgrace, to follow him into marginalization. You might be saying to yourself, Cressman, you are making a really, really bad sales pitch for those who are not followers of Christ, Uh, uh, Like who who would want to follow Christ? Who would want to become a Christian if we hear that, like, oh, oh, hey, wait a second, there's a cost to following Jesus. Who would want to follow Jesus if there's a cost to it? Well, I think maybe over the last couple of years, one of the things that we've found is that we've made it too easy to follow Jesus. We have not communicated to people that, you know what, following Jesus has a cost to it. And all of a sudden when that cost, when the rubber starts meeting the road, all of a sudden it gets really hard. Why would someone follow Jesus if there's a cost? Well, we actually see it right here. Look again at verse 14. He says, for here we do not have an enduring city. In other words, what we've got going on here is not something that's gonna last. Everything that we're, we're, we're striving for and, and as a cultural good, everything that we're laboring towards, that's not going to last, okay? For here, we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. In other words, the reason why we follow Jesus, the reason why we pay the price of like, the cost that it costs now to follow Jesus, it, it, it's because it gets better later. It's because there's glory to come. That's why we follow Jesus. Okay. Let's look at verse 15 and 16. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer, oh, my, I love technology. My Bible app crashed on me. How's that for fun? Let's try that again. (laughs) And it dropped me in Deuteronomy. Why did it drop me in Deuteronomy? Verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. <clears throat> Pardon me. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. The writer of Hebrews tells us to offer a sacrifice of praise. So tra- track with me. Say sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice. Thank you, you're tracking with me. When I was, well, my <clears throat> entire life until I got digging into this passage this past couple of weeks, I thought a sacrifice of praise was a song. And, and I think the reason for that is because I grew up singing this, this happy, clappy song. Uh, if you've been around church for a while or if you're old like me, maybe you remember the song. Uh, all about uh, sing, you know, bringing a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. And I thought that that was singing this song. And I thought that phrase came out of the Psalms. Didn't have any idea that it came out of the book of Hebrews. In actuality, well, in even thinking about it, like why would, I, why would singing this song be a sacrifice? That never really made sense to me, but I, I just went with it. What is he talking about here in this text? What is the sacrifice of praise that he's talking about? Well, the thing that we need to remember is that this verse is connected to what came right before it. In other words, and listen, because if you're a follower of Christ, this is mega important. The way that we offer a sacrifice of praise is by following Jesus outside the camp towards marginalization. So if you are a follower of Christ and that's ever cost you something, if anyone has ever talked bad at you or talked down to you, and that's cost. like you've had to lay something down, that is the sacrifice of praise. When we follow Jesus outside the camp, moving from comfort to disgrace, that is the sacrifice of praise that he's talking about here. There's a cost to following Christ. And this is what always happens, this is the, look at verse 15, this is the fruit of openly professing his name. In other words, when we openly profess the name of Jesus, what always happens, what naturally happens, is we end up becoming marginalized. It's just part of the deal. And some of you might be thinking, hold on, I went to university and took intro to sociology. I know that in Canada... (coughs) the The place of power, the seat of power, is in is in the the Christian church, and and I that is why uh, being a Christian falls lower on the intersectionality scale than every other religion. So how can you talk about moving towards marginalization if you are a Christian? If you're if you know, I, I've learned that it actually gives you power to be a Christian. Is that true? I wonder um, if you talk to. The guys who I see once in a while, <clears throat> pardon me, on the corner over here by Zayers. Um you've probably seen them if you've driven past that corner They um, have, have an amplification and a microphone and, and talking about Jesus. And, and if you talk to those guys, I wonder if you ask them, hey, since you've started doing that, do you feel more like you have more power, more included in the culture, or do you feel more marginalized? I wonder what they would say. To be clear, I think um, there's some pretty significant theological differences I would have with those guys, and I'm not entirely sure that that's the most efficient way to tell someone about Jesus, just to be completely honest with you, but I think what you would find and what I have seen with my own eyes, I have seen the marginalization that they have experienced, some of it. I've seen people drive past with their one finger sticking out the window, I've seen people drive fast past and roll their window down and curse them. I'm aware that there have been those who have tried to introduce legislation in the city to prevent them from doing that. What always happens when we openly proclaim the name of Jesus, what always happens is we move towards marginalization. That is part of the Christian life. If you are not a Christian here this morning, I would love for you to to be a Christian, but you need to know at the front that there is a cost, that this is not easy. And part of what will happen is this move towards marginalization. The writer of Hebrews doesn't leave it there, though. He, he actually does a really good job of balancing this out, because look at verse 16. He says, And do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So, what we have here is uh, two examples, two times where the writer of Hebrews says that Christians need to offer a sacrifice. Yes, Christians are those who make sacrifices to God, but the sacrifices that we offer are not an animal that is killed for us. The sacrifices that we offer is moving towards marginalization as we follow Christ, the sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of doing good for others and sharing with them. In other words, doing intentionally with less ourselves, not having all the stuff we could or should have ourselves so that someone else can have what they need. Both of those things are the sacrifices that Christians need to offer to God. The problem is that we tend to want to do either one or the other we tend to want to preach the gospel and, and, and speak about Jesus. This is, you know, pointing at guys like myself, but then not doing anything else about it, not having any personal cost. Or we want to be really nice people. We want to um, uh, you know, do all kinds of nice things for others without ever getting to the part where we actually tell people about Jesus. And I think that is the one that most of us probably struggle with. Have you ever heard the saying, if you've been around for church, if you've been around at church long enough, you've almost certainly heard it. Um, it's uh, falsely attributed to Francis of Assisi. Didn't actually say this. Uh, but the, the saying goes like this. Um, it, it goes, always preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Quick show of hands, who's ever heard that, that phrase? Always be preaching the gospel, and if necessary, use words. How stupid is that? What a ridiculous thing what an unbiblical statement one of the things we have to do is use words to describe the gospel will that result in our marginalization of course it will if if we want to listen i've heard so many times and i'll be completely honest i have practice this so many times to I say this to my shame where oh I'm just going to be a nice guy I'm going to do good for people all around me and I really hope that sometime they're going to ask me about why I'm different and I'll tell them about Jesus that's not the Christian life (laughs) what it did is it that fed my uh, my idol of, of people pleasing that fed my ability for people to think oh what a nice guy what a great guy that guy is And I never had to experience the marginalization of actually talking about Jesus. The sacrifice that Christians offer are both of these things. We do both of them. That's what we are called to. And to do less is to be unfaithful to our calling as Christians. Okay, we gotta keep going. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 is interesting because it seems like it comes out of nowhere. It doesn't really come out of nowhere, but it kind of seems like it. Let's take a look. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now, I have to be honest. Not only does this feel like it's kind of disconnected from what came before it, I feel a little awkward having to talk about this. <laughs> but here we go we need to jump in you may remember if you were here with us last week that pastor Scott um, walked us through what it said up in verse 7 you can bounce back up and look at verse 7 where we are um, uh, told to remember our leaders consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate them this is kind of a, a continuation of that thought and what this verse builds on is listen don't just remember your past leaders but have confidence in your current leaders and willingly submit to their authority. And this can be extremely challenging. This can be a very challenging thing to do because church leaders are not always worthy of that type of honor, to be frank. Can we have like a real honest conversation about pastors for a couple minutes? Um, It seems like pastors have done a bad job of being worthy of having confidence in Just in the past few months we have seen What I uh, the pastor of what I think is Ontario's biggest church one of the the largest churches in Canada Who was fired by his church because of sexual impropriety and about the same time? the uh, founding pastor and the lead pastor of one of the most influential churches in the world out of Australia who writes a lot of the songs that we sing, they um, kind of force their founding pastor into retirement because of some type of impropriety I don't know all the details it seems like pastors just don't do an awesome job of living out what we profess and this is going to be really aggressive coming from someone like myself but a big part of the problem it is, so, so we understand the problem is these pastors that, that don't live out what they profess. Another part, a big part of the problem is churches who hire pastors who hire the wrong pastors. Because the problem is that when churches hire pastors it tends to be based on three things. It tends to be based on their training or their education or their uh, uh, ability to communicate. They, they tend to be like really gifted in, in this type of one way communication like oratory, right? Uh, or they have uh, significant leadership gifts or um, um, personal charisma. And whether it's stated or whether it goes unstated, churches tend to hire on those three things. The interesting thing is that when you look at what the scriptures say qualifications are for a leader in the church, for an elder in the church, do you know how many of those things are there? None. Not one of those. And the problem is us. We would rather be entertained for 30 minutes once a week than be bored during this 30 minutes once a week and have a a person who has quality character. So if you think I'm boring, I'm just going to chalk that up to hopefully I'm a character guy. (laughs) I've been doing this for long enough, Uh, I've been around these circles for long enough that I could give, like, my hopper is full of stories. I could give you story after story after story about guys who were very good communicators, who were excellent preachers, and so they got hired by a church because what, what an excellent teacher. They didn't look closely enough at his character, and the guy was a slime ball, and he blew everything up. The most important thing for leaders in the Christian church is our character. Even if that means that we're a little bit bored. We're we're not entertained to the max in this venue on Sundays. So character has to match for church leaders. The other thing that we need to talk about is that we also need to have proper expectations on our pastors. Um, A number of years ago now, um, there was a a church who sent me an email asking if I would let my name stand in their pastoral search and so I looked at some of the documents that they sent and I showed um, the expectations document to Val and uh, she took one look at it and just started laughing she said these people don't want a mere mortal to be their pastor they want Jesus to be their pastor <laughs> like this guy had to be good at everything so it's pretty clear it wasn't, wasn't for, for us <laughs> um, if you are waiting for any of your pastors, myself or any of the elders or pastors here at Blue Water, to be perfect or to be Jesus, we will let you down. Um, We have this strange thing we talk about with our worship team all the time where, like, we're here to worship Jesus and for some reason just some of us are elevated on a stage like, what, what a strange thing. Now, there are reasons for that because we want everybody to be able to see and hear and whatnot, but, but what a difficult thing. What a dangerous thing for our souls to be, like, elevated above everyone else. What a, what a weird thing in the Christian church. We will let you down. You can, you, you can definitely get better friends than me. <laughs> Some people want to be my friend just because I'm the pastor. You can definitely get better friends than me. I'm I'm pretty good as it comes to like I'm a, an all right emergency friend. Like if there's something that goes down, I'm an all right friend in those times in those categories. But just to be like a normal friend, you can definitely get better friends than me. All of us will absolutely let you down. Now, need to be very clear about this because we're not talking about sin issues as it pertains to a sin issue in myself or any of the elders or pastors at our church, those are the type of things that we don't just flush under the carpet. Those are the type of things that we need to bring to the light. Why? (laughs) Because sin has to come to the light. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, uh, listen, other things, right? Um, I'm not an awesome person. But look what verse 17 says. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Man, it's, it's not easy to have confidence. It's not easy to willingly submit yourself to the authority of someone that God has put in authority over you. I promise you, there will be times when you will think I'm an idiot. I promise you, just stick around. <laughs> there will be times when you think I'm misguided or the elders are misguided. There will be times, absolutely when you think that we're not hearing the Lord correctly. And again, we're not talking about sin issues. Those are things that need to be called out and not hidden. But what do we need to do? We need to willingly submit ourselves to the authority of those that God has put over us. Why? Because God made the world with authority. God made the world with, with spheres of authority, and, and, and we are all under authority in different spheres, and it's our job to be clear, it's not my job to like, make you be under my authority. That's not my job at all. It's your job to willingly submit yourself to the authorities that God has put over all of us. It's my job, too, to do that. And that's not an easy thing. We're not talking about sin issues. Those need to be brought to the light. Look at the text again. Why do we need, when it pertains to the church, why do we need to willingly submit ourselves to those God has put in authority over us? We see in the text, in the church, it's, it's pastors and elders who watch over us as those who must give an account. Have you ever thought about that? And, and by the way, the account that we need to give is not to you, well, let me be clear, it is to you, but it's not to you first, the elders and myself and the other pastors and leaders here at bluewater we give an account to god to the, the i have to stand before the creator of the universe almighty god and give an account for your soul you think that's not heavy you think i haven't had sleepless nights under the weight of that you think over the past two years, these two unprecedented years, that the you know realistically are the um, probably the most significant um, time of my whole ministry. I'm gonna have to stand before God with the elders of our church and give an account to Him of how we conducted ourselves over the last couple years. You think there's not weight to that? And I get it. yeah, world's saddest song and the world's smallest violin craftsman, like, (laughs) poor guy, grow some shoulders. Um, You can step up under that, I get it. But it's not easy, you know what else is not easy? Willingly submitting yourself to those that God has put in authority over you. That is tremendously, tremendously difficult. The way that things work best in a church is when qualified leaders lead, because God always works through leaders, when qualified leaders lead in such a way that they understand that they are accountable to God, to the almighty creator God, and when we willingly submit ourselves to those who God has put in authority over us, that's when things work best. This is not always natural. This is not easy. If it was easy or natural, the scriptures would not have to tell us to do it. Let me say that again just in case you missed it. If it was easy or natural to submit ourselves to those who God has put over us, the scriptures wouldn't have to tell us to do it. It would be a normal thing that we would do. And when this all comes together, when qualified leaders lead who, in such a way as to give account to the Lord and when we willingly submit to those who God has put in authority over us and have confidence in them, that's when our work in the gospel together is a joy and not a burden. Okay, so what are we coming away with today? There's two significant things that we're coming away with as we start to land this thing. The first thing is that Christians are those who offer sacrifices, not not an animal that's killed to cover over our sin for a year. The sacrifices that we offer are, are um, openly professing the name of Christ and, and um, moving towards marginalization, following him outside the camp, and the sacrifice of doing good and uh, sharing with others self-sacrificially. We make sacrifices to the Lord. That's the first thing. And so my question for you this morning is if, you are a, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're here this morning, this isn't for you. But if you say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, hard question. Am I doing those things? Am I making those sacrifices? And if the answer is no, I need to have a really hard look at my heart. And then the second thing that we need to do is as followers of Jesus Christ, are we willingly submitting ourselves to those who God has put in authority over us, not just grudgingly, but actually having confidence in that? That's not an easy thing. And I tell you that the elders of your church here at Blue Water wear that. Seriously, we wear that heavily. It's not always easy, but following Christ is not easy. May we be those whose lives characterize these things. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you that when all was lost, you made a way for us. Thank you that we don't need to offer sacrifices, animal sacrifices, to cover over our sins year over year, but, but because Jesus, because you died on the cross by just believing in you, just having faith in what you've done for us, that we can have our sins washed away and become part of the family of God. That you enable us to do things like make these sacrifices that you know, pay the price of, of following Christ. It's not easy. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those who willingly submit ourselves not through force or compulsion in any way, but but through a choice. Willingly submit ourselves to those who God has put in authority over us. I pray that you would help us this week to continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, that's you, Jesus Christ. It's to you only that we give all glory, both now and forever, amen. Thanks, friends. So glad that you were here this morning. Really appreciate you sitting through uh, this whole thing, and remember that you are loved.